Book One, Sections Twenty Seven through Twenty Nine of King Cole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. King Cole by Upton Sinclair. Book One, The Domain of King Cole. Section Twenty Seven. Hal was so startled by this discovery that he stopped in his tracks and gazed at the man. He had heard a lot about troublemakers in the camps, but so far the only kind he had seen were those hired by the company to make trouble for the men. But now here was a union organizer. Jerry had suggested the possibility, but Hal had not thought of it seriously. An organizer was a mythological creature, whispered about by the miners, cursed by the company and its servants, and by Hal's friends at home. An incendiary, a firebrand, a loud-mouthed, irresponsible person, stirring up blind and dangerous passions. Having heard such things all his life, Hal's first impulse was of distrust. He felt like the one-legged old switchman who had given him a place to sleep after his beating at Pine Creek, and who had said, "'Don't you talk no union business to me!' Seeing Hal's emotion, the organizer gave an uneasy laugh. "'While you're hoping I'm not a dick, I trust you understand I'm hoping you're not one.' Hal's answer was to the point. "'I was taken for an organizer once,' he said, and his hands sought the seat of his ancient bruises. The other laughed. "'You got off with a beating? You were lucky.' Down in Alabama, not so long ago, they tarred and feathered one of us. Dismay came upon Hal's face, but after a moment he too began to laugh. I was just thinking about my brother and his friends, what they'd have said if I'd come home from Pine Creek in a coat of tar and feathers. Possibly, ventured the other, they'd have said you got what you deserved. Yes, that seems to be their attitude. That's the rule they apply to all the world. If anything goes wrong with you, it must be your own fault. It's a land of equal opportunity. And you'll notice, said the organizer, that the more privileges people have had, the more boldly they talk that way. Hal began to feel a sense of comradeship with this stranger, who was able to understand one's family troubles. It had been a long time since Hal had talked with anyone from the outside world, and he found it a relief to his mind. He remembered how, after he had got his beating, he had lain out in the rain and congratulated himself that he was not what the guards had taken him for. Now he was curious about the psychology of an organizer. A man must have strong convictions to follow that occupation. He made the remark, and the other answered, you can have my pay any time you'll do my work. But let me tell you, too, it isn't being beaten and kicked out of camp that bothers one most. It isn't the camp marshal and the spy and the blacklist. Your worst troubles are inside the heads of the fellows you're trying to help. Have you ever thought what it would mean to try to explain things to men who speak twenty different languages? Yes, of course, said Hal. I wonder how you ever get a start. Well, you look for an interpreter, and maybe he's a company spy. Or maybe the first man you try to convert reports you to the boss. For, of course, some of the men are cowards, and some of them are crooks. They'll sell out the next fellow for a better place, maybe for a glass of beer. That must have a tendency to weaken your convictions, said Hal. 
"'No,' said the other in a matter-of-fact tone. "'It's hard, but one can't blame the poor devils. "'They're ignorant, kept so deliberately. "'The bosses bring them here, and have a regular system to keep them from getting together. "'And of course these European peoples have their old prejudices, "'national prejudices, religious prejudices, that keep them apart. "'You see two fellows, one you think is exactly as miserable as the other,' but you find him despising the other, because back home he was the other's superior. So they play into the boss's hands. End of section 27 Section 28 They had come to a remote place in the canyon and found themselves seats on a flat rock where they could talk in comfort. "'Put yourself in their place,' said the organizer. They're in a strange country, and one person tells them one thing and another tells them something else. The masters and their agents say, Don't trust the union agitators. They're a lot of grafters. They live easy and don't have to work. They take your money and call you out on strike, and you lose your jobs and your home. They sell you out, maybe, and go on to some other place to repeat the same trick. And the workers think maybe that's true. They haven't the wit to see that if the union leaders are corrupt, it must be because the bosses are buying them. So you see, they're completely bedeviled. They don't know which way to turn. The man was speaking quietly, but there was a little glow of excitement in his face. The company is forever repeating that these people are satisfied, that it's we who are stirring them up. But are they satisfied? You've been here long enough to know. "'There's no need to discuss that,' Hal answered. "'Of course they're not satisfied. "'They've seemed to me like a lot of children crying in the dark, "'not knowing what's the matter with them "'or who's to blame or where to turn for help.' "'Hal found himself losing his distrust of this man. "'He did not correspond in any way "'to Hal's imaginary picture of a union organizer. "'He was a blue-eyed, clean-looking young American,' and instead of being wild and loud-mouthed, he seemed rather wistful. He had indignation, of course, but it did not take the form of ranting or florid eloquence, and this repression was making its appeal to Hal, who, in spite of his democratic impulses, had the habits of thought of a class which shrinks from noisiness and overemphasis. Also, Hal was interested in his attitude towards the weaknesses of working people, the inertia of the poor, which caused so many people to despair for them, their cowardice and instability. These were things about which Hal had heard all his life. You can't help them, people would say. They're dirty and lazy, they drink and shirk, they betray each other. They've always been like that. The idea would be summed up in a formula. You can't change human nature. Even Mary Burke, herself one of the working class, spoke of the workers in this angry and scornful way. But Olson had faith in their manhood and went ahead to awaken and teach them. To his mind the path was clear and straight. They must be taught the lesson of solidarity. As individuals, they're helpless in the power of the great corporations. But if they stand together, if they sell their labor as a unit, then they really count for something. 
He paused and looked at the other inquiringly. How do you feel about unions? Hal answered, They're one of the things I want to find out about. You hear this and that. There's so much prejudice on each side. I want to help the underdog, but I want to be sure of the right way. What other way is there? And Olson paused. To appeal to the tender hearts of the owners? Not exactly, but mightn't one appeal to the world in general, to public opinion? I was brought up an American, and learned to believe in my country. I can't think but there's some way to get justice. Maybe if the men were to go into politics— Politics? cried Olson. My God, how long have you been in this place? Only a couple of months. Well, stay till November and see what they do with the ballot boxes in these camps. I can imagine, of course, no, you can't, any more than you could imagine the graft and the misery. But if the men should take to voting together, how can they take to voting together, when any one who mentions the idea goes down the canyon? Why, you can't even get naturalization papers, unless you're a company man. They won't register you, unless the boss gives you an okay. How are you going to make a start, unless you have a union? It sounded reasonable, Hal had to admit, but he thought of the stories he had heard about walking delegates, all the dreadful consequences of union domination. He had not meant to go in for unionism. Olson was continuing. We've had laws passed, a whole raft of laws about coal mining. The eight-hour law, the anti-script law, the company store law, the mine-sprinkling law, the check-wayman law. What difference has it made in North Valley that there are such laws on the statute books? Would you ever even know about them? Ah, now, said Hal, if you put it that way, if your movement is to have the law enforced, I'm with you. But how will you get the law enforced except by a union? No individual man can do it. It's down the canyon with him if he mentions the law. In Western City, our union people go to the state officials, but they never do anything. And why? They know we haven't got the men behind us. It's the same with the politicians as it is with the bosses. The union is the thing that counts. Hal found this an entirely new argument. People don't realize that idea, that men have to be organized to get their legal rights. And the other threw up his hands with a comical gesture. My God, if you want to make a list of the things that people don't realize about us miners. End of section 28 Section 29 Olson was eager to win Hal, and went on to tell all the secrets of his work. He sought men who believed in unions, and were willing to take the risk of trying to convert others. In each place he visited, he would get a group together, and would arrange some way to communicate with them after he left, smuggling in propaganda literature for distribution. So there would be the nucleus of an organization. In a year or two they would have such a nucleus in every camp, and then they would be ready to come into the open, calling meetings in the towns and in places in the canyons to which the miners would flock. So the flame of revolt would leap up, Men would join the movement faster than the companies could get rid of them, and they would make a demand for their rights, backed with the threat of a strike throughout the entire district. You understand, 
added Olson. We have a legal right to organize, even though the bosses disapprove. You need not stand back on that score. Yes, said Hal, but it occurs to me that as a matter of tactics, it would be better here in North Valley if you chose some issue there's less controversy about. If, for instance, you'd concentrate on getting a check weighman. The other smiled. We'd have to have a union to back the demand, so what's the difference? Well, argued Hal, there are prejudices to be reckoned with. Some people don't like the idea of a union. They think it means tyranny and violence. The organizer laughed. You aren't convinced, but that it does yourself, are you? Well, all I can tell you is, if you want to tackle the job of getting a check weighman in North Valley, I'll not stand in your way. Here was an idea, a real idea. Life had grown dull for Hal since he had become a buddy, working in a place five feet high. This would promise livelier times. But was it a thing he wanted to do? So far he had been an observer of conditions in this coal camp. He had convinced himself that conditions were cruel, and he had pretty well convinced himself that the cruelty was needless and deliberate. But when it came to a question of an action to be taken, then he hesitated, and old prejudices and fears made themselves heard. He had been told that labor was turbulent and lazy, that it had to be ruled with a strong hand. Now was he willing to weaken the strong hand, to ally himself with those who fomented labor troubles? But this would not be the same thing, he told himself. This suggestion of Olson's was different from trade unionism, which might be a demoralizing force, leading the workers from one demand to another until they were seeking to dominate industry. This would be merely an appeal to the law, a test of that honesty and fair dealing to which the company everywhere laid claim. If, as the bosses proclaimed, the workers were fully protected by the check weighman law, if, as all the world was made to believe, the reason there was no check weighman was simply because the men did not ask for one, why, then there would be no harm done. If, on the other hand, a demand for a right that was not merely a legal right, but a moral right as well, if that were taken by the bosses as an act of rebellion against the company, well, Hal would understand a little more about the turbulence of labor. If, as old Mike and Johansson and the rest maintained, the bosses would make your life one damn misery till you left, then he would be ready to make a few damn miseries for the bosses in return. It would be an adventure, said Hal suddenly. And the other laughed. It would that. You're thinking I'll have another Pine Creek experience, Hal added. Well, maybe so, but I have to try things out for myself. You see, I've got a brother at home, and when I think about going in for revolution, I have imaginary arguments with him. I want to be able to say, I didn't swallow anybody's theories, I tried it for myself, and this is what happened. Well, replied the organizer, that's all right, but while you're seeking education for yourself and your brother, don't forget that I've already got my education. I know what happens to men who ask for a check weighman, and I can't afford to sacrifice myself proving it again. 
"'I never asked you to,' laughed Hal. "'If I won't join your movement, I can't expect you to join mine. "'But if I can find a few men who are willing to take the risk "'of making a demand for a check-wayman, "'that won't hurt your work, will it?' "'Sure not,' said the other. "'Just the opposite. "'It'll give me an object lesson to point to. "'There are men here who don't even know "'they've a legal right to a check-wayman. "'There are others who know they don't get their weights, "'but aren't sure it's the company that's cheating them. "'If the bosses should refuse to let anyone inspect the weights, "'if they should go further and fire the men who ask it, "'well, there'll be plenty of recruits for my union local.' "'All right,' said Hal. I'm not setting out to recruit your union local, but if the company wants to recruit it, that's the company's affair. And on this bargain the two shook hands. End of section 29